0: Uh, hello. I am Cisset K Faber, and I've been on the show a few times before. And I'll say that uh, I met John Riccardi once, and I had I've done interpreting at TGS in Japan, and that's who I am.
1: Hi, my name is Charlie. I'm a I'm a friend of Cisset K Faber. Um, we've known each other for quite a long time, uh, just as internet friends. Um, I'm a composer. Um, I like classical music and video game music, and. Uh, one day I hope to move to Denmark and maybe support somebody's uh, video game dream over there. <laughs> yeah, that's me. Oh, and I'm a f- uh, first-time uh, guest on the show. It's nice to be here.
2: I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. So is Denmark the place you could go to support people's video game dreams? Well, I mean, it's it seems just like a good place to to be in general. <laughs> right.
1: And uh, uh, I've, I would like to join a video game developer and um, oh sure yeah and have them have them give me guidance so i can
2: bring their world building to life yeah and, uh
1: through the soundtrack yeah
2: yeah uh so said Faber would you like to well you already introduced yourself do you have anything to plug
0: oh man i, I will plug um getting out of the idle game addiction that uh when you're deep in it it seems like it's the only thing. And then when you're out of it, you're like, you can't remember what you were doing before. Uh. And so it's it's a hard thing to do, but I would recommend it to find uh, a center in
1: your life. Yes. <laughs> you're talking about idle games, like, like clicker games that
2: go on when you walk away.
0: Yeah, but the, th- the creepy thing about this is that because they go on, even when you aren't playing them, have I really quit them?
2: Hmm. Yeah, anytime you could come back and they will, you'll be as, fur- you'll be further than ever. <laughs> My experience with idle games is that they're a fantastic way to stop using Twitter. I
0: disagree. Okay. And that's, and that's because there's a specific kind of uh, flow in like your, the mental state of like, I'm going to check Twitter. I'm going to check back in on the idle game. I'm going to go back and forth. That like, there's a back and forth that if you have ADHD, you can just, eat time by going between idle games, waiting two minutes for something, coming back, checking Twitter, coming back. And so for me, my fan seat, like my, my, uh, my CPU fan on my new computer dying has made me realize that like, I need to avoid anything that pegs the CPU and all these idle games are written in JavaScript. (laughs) And so I can't do that anymore I need to keep this computer
1: very quiet so that I can maintain my sanity. <laughs> Are idle games really that much of a draw on like CPU power? I I figured it wouldn't, It it's just making
2: the number go up. But then again, I, I don't know that much about what's going on. So I, I'm not sure, like idle game developers tend not to be traditional video game developers, but I think it's really common for video games to just draw the screen as often as it can like that—that's that, just how video games tend to work by default, right? And uh, and so it'll just—it'll just use as much CPU as you let it,
0: right? And idle games are an extension of that, but because they're not video game developers, they don't understand that you only need to update the screen like every, uh, like like thirty times a second or sixty times a second. They will just literally every small amount of time that has passed, they will update themselves, and that means that they have to run. All of their insane calculations on every frame, but they're not frame limited. So you're running this stuff at like 240 frames per second always.
1: Yeah, it's a sweeping generalization against those types
2: of developers. <laughs> you ever run the prime number shitting bear?
1: I've,
2: what?
0: I have yes,
2: I have seen the prime number shitting bear. Yes, I set that web page as my. Like I th- there was a concept in Windows, I think it was called Live Background, where you could set a web page as your background. And I set that web page as my background, and the algorithm they used to get the next prime number not very efficient. Well, no, it was really causing my computer to chug whenever this bear needed to shit a new prime number. <laughs> it, it would like the the pause and the pauses would get longer and longer. I ended up going in there and doing some optimization myself because you know bear's <laughs> constipated It view source and it's right there
1: i don't yeah. i don't understand what's going on how do you optimize counting up towards prime numbers how do you tell the computer okay f- find the next prime number faster
2: like well it depends <laughs> like there there are lots of ways to find a prime number so for one 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 way you could do it is you just do you, you look at the number three? Is that prime? And then you look at the next number, four. Is that prime?
0: By is that prime, he means you divide by all the numbers below it.
2: Yes. Oh. And one way you could make this go faster is instead of checking every number, you only check the odd numbers. And then that's twice as fast. Oh, wait. Is there
1: such thing as an even prime number? This no. This is the stupidest question in the
2: world.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a good question. Like That's a great When you don't think about these kinds of things like that's exactly and then you mentioned like don't slander these idle game developers like that so much and like I'm not trying to slander these developers it's just they're working in a very different kind of framework than usually work in with game development where you're putting a frame on the screen. And most of idle game development is more like web page development where you have uh, interface elements and you have things running in the background. And because they're working on specific systems, they don't understand the idea that they don't need to update so often. And so what you run into is that like their thing runs on their machine and they put it on a faster machine and it just like eats the battery on something. And then they get like, like a bug report. Or what happens is that they get Something where they can't do offline progress properly, because when you do offline progress, what they tend to do is just like, let's pretend that we just like process every single millisecond uh, without any time in between. And then when you've gone, you've been gone for three days, then that's going to take 60 hours to calculate, which is not a good uh comparison because like three days is not 60 hours but like what if you being gone for three days meant you meant you had to wait six hours for your idle game to launch right like so but y- there's just math stuff and so yeah that's it's good that you mentioned that because it all ties back into that math stuff. I
1: didn't realize that um math was like it got hard for computers if the numbers were just big enough. <laughs> is that really how it works?
0: Or often enough, you know?
1: Huh wow well I learned something. Oh I think uh... I forgot to plug.
2: Oh, oh, I I was supposed to ask you to do that. <laughs> I forgot to plug.
1: All right. I would like to plug um, meditation practice. Um, I started it a little bit before uh, COVID started, just coincidentally. And uh, I've been doing it nearly every day since. And it does weird stuff to your brain. It makes you less reactive And it separates your train of thought from itself. So like, you know, you have a train, a little choo-choo train of thought. It separates all the cars on the track. So You're not seeing this whole thing as one interconnected line. Um, You can take each of those cars and consider them separately. And the ways it has improved my life, I cannot tell you. And so, yeah, give meditation practice a shot. I use the Headspace app. Oh, there's an app for this. (laughs) <laughs> there are tons of apps, but um, I like Headspace because uh, the dude who uh, founded it or co-founded it, I'm not sure. His name is Andy, and he, um, he was a monk for like 10 years. Um, and then he came back and, and started this company uh, called Headspace, obviously. and uh, Well, I have the best experience with them because he, he's got like the authentic, really formal type of practice. It's not just, you know, relaxation exercises and everything. It's quite formal disciplined
2: which i like cool does this app does it have ads like while you're in the middle of meditating is it (laughs) going to play an ad at you (laughs) oh oh god's no (laughs) no there are no
1: ads at all um from what i remember i've never encountered an ad in the headspace app wow um and uh if you know somebody who has it already um they can uh shoot you a 30-day guest pass where uh you can try out the entire catalog i think um it's a massive library of uh, guided meditations
2: great and no ads. yeah cool yeah give it a shot are we ready to start on some topics
0: yes always thirsty for topics
2: all right uh so i said <laughs> Favor, your topic is umbrellas siphons and other physical things that seem like hacky bullshit but actually work so, I want to call out that this topic did come up in the Discord
0: discussion, and I was actually working on this topic separately in my brain, but didn't say anything to anybody. And so, therefore, I want credit. And, um, okay. <laughs> but what I mean is like, there's a bunch of physical things in our world. And I thought about a couple more today as I was on a walk with my son that, like, the siphon is. Pretty much the best example where it doesn't seem like it should work. Like, do both of you know what siphons do?
1: Yeah, it's it's like when you're trying to like steal gas and you put (laughs) your mouth on the tube, and you have to spit out the gas or else you'll get neurological damage. That's what I know about siphons.
2: I, I believe the 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 gimmick here is that the water flows or the liquid flows up the tube due to differences in air pressure.
0: Right. So because we live in a pressurized atmosphere. But it's not, it's not like just a rule for our atmosphere. It's a general physics rule, but because we live where we do, how we do that, it works the way that it does for us, which is that like, because a low pressure system is created when you suck on the tube, it creates a chain of that low pressure system such that it is forced to do nothing but suck the liquid up and then out in order to try to relieve the low pressure system. Nice. And so when it, when it runs out of liquid or there's a elevation change or there's a change in any number of factors it will break like it's pretty reliable to the fact that we we've used it we we use it a lot Yeah I'm constantly stealing
2: gas <laughs>
0: <laughs> If you have fish right like I we had a big fish tank when I was a kid and we used to siphon the water out of it and so like this is how I know how it works is that like my dad was this weirdo smart guy and he I was like, that's weird that that works. And he's like, well, here's how it works. And I was like, all right, that makes sense. But then somebody pointed out to me that like, that's weird, right? Like, it doesn't seem like it should work that way. And and then I put the the example in the Discord of like, when you put your finger over the end, like the top end of a straw, and you take it out of a drink, and the liquid stays in the straw, that like, it doesn't seem like that should actually
2: work, right? Like, it seems like it should fall I did it out. as a young enough age that it does seem intuitive.
0: No, it's very intuitive.
1: It, that's exactly the word I was about to
2: say. It seems so
1: intuitive that, like, I forget that it seems odd. <laughs> yeah. If I think about it hard, I'm trying to, like, undo that intuitiveness. But but go on. Yeah.
0: Right. It, it, it seems very intuitive. And then this is why the umbrella example is really good, because umbrellas... Sp- they make sense, right? You hold a thing over your head. You have yeah. your own portable shelter.
1: <laughs> I should hope so.
0: <laughs> like it works. It's, it's good tech. But if you think about like the raindrops are always falling, right? And you are moving forward. Yeah. So why is it that you do not get wet with the drops that were under the umbrella at the time that you moved under that portion of space
1: where that raindrop was falling? Why do they work at all? Um, it, uh, because
2: we're too slow. Exactly, we walk too slowly. I thought, right? <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I will say that like umbrellas are not perfect. Like you do get hit from the side.
0: You do. Yes.
2: Yeah. Like there's there's
0: um there's side drip. There's a whole bunch of umbrella etiquette in Japan. Like they're not perfect for sure. But the fact that they work at all is a kind of a testament to the world that we live in, where the rain falls slow enough and we walk slow enough and. Or the rain falls fast enough, for example, like you can imagine a world where the rain fell significantly slower. This would happen that you would put your umbrella up and start walking, and the raindrops would cut under the umbrella as you walked. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So, like my thing is like there's a there's a certain number of things in our lives, like siphons or umbrellas or you know straws you're you're trapping soda in that they seem very intuitive but when you start to think about the physics
1: of uh, bicycles are the same way yeah man bicycles how, how does that work like it, yeah i've i've had it explained to me like i know how to ride a bike but it's like
2: magic you take two gyroscopes and you attach them together in a line
1: but like what's the deal with gyroscopes exactly. like when i spin it and i hold <laughs> it in my hand it's like it's moving by itself like what is yeah, this yeah it's
2: weird gyroscopes are weird
1: because it's just moving around. It's 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 not going anywhere. It's just rotating around one spot. So why does it feel like it wants to go places that are different? And I'm like having to grip it in my hand to prevent it from like jumping off somewhere. It's so strange. So wait, you say bicycles are two gyroscopes.
2: Yeah, yeah. each wheel is a gyroscope, yes. Oh, wow. That's how it stays. That's one of the ways it stays upright, yeah. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, so the physics
0: explanation real fast for bicycles is that um there's a conservation of like angular inertia on wheels such that if you wanted it to go side to side, you would have to provide a force enough to cancel the forward motion of it, which you're not doing and you can't do reasonably without putting like a a stick in the spokes of it. So <laughs> so what happens is just that like as a consequence of this, when you put the wheels moving forward, it will not move side to side as easily.
1: Mm. Well, okay. Tell me if I'm a moron. <laughs> I always assumed, maybe I'm just explaining the same thing, but in stupider words. I thought that when you ride a bicycle, you're just going forward uh, too fast for uh, falling over to happen. <laughs> that's not why I don't, I don't think that's a bad way to think about it. Like, it seems overly simplified because when you say, oh, no, those are two gyroscopes, it makes a lot more sense. Right. <laughs> but it, it depends yeah.
0: on what level of the system you're thinking about. If you think of a bicycle as a system, right, of a bunch of things being tied together, mm-hmm. when you think about the whole system, you are correct. You're not going to fall over because the entire thing is moving forward enough that you're not going to fall over. Um, when you think about this at, at the individual components level, that each component and the the important ones here are the wheels that those are moving forward such that they will not fall over. And therefore the thing tied to it, the bicycle frame will not fall over. Then it it makes the same amount of sense. It's just stated
1: differently. So I don't, I don't think it's a bad way to view it. I have another question. Um, Okay. A gyroscope, you know, you pull the string, it it spins and you set it and you just watch it on the table. It goes and goes, but a bicycle has to be moving forward. So in a stationary bicycle but does it have to be moving like uh, if you pedal it fast enough and the wheels get going it still falls over
2: right is, is it because they're t- like i don't know something's not adding up and i oh this is okay the interesting interesting thought experiment does a bicycle on a treadmill still stay upright if it's not moving forward hmm. I, I think well, it I, does I
1: like like a hovering bicycle
2: like like imagine you okay you can levitate
1: levitate on your bicycle you pedal really fast you got the wheels going. And if they're two gyroscopes, I mean, you should feel this um, force keeping. Wait a second.
2: Why would it be levitating? All right. Let's <laughs> use the treadmill. Uh, mag- maglev. <laughs> the, the wheels are powering an electromagnet that keeps it hovering above uh, an opposed magnet. But yeah, it's very different from
0: the, because that was the old Mythbusters thing, right? Of like, if you put a plane on a treadmill, will it take off? And it's like, no, because there's not air passing over the wing
1: yeah it requires lift it's not the... right yeah
2: right
0: but see charlie this is why i really wanted to have you on the show is because i i say that and some other people would have been like what are you talking about of course it would lift off and you're like no no, no it makes so much sense that it doesn't and <laughs> so you say that you're asking these stupid questions but um you are actually very knowledgeable and so oh. Oh, thank you <laughs> but like uh, yeah, I think what Jim said is true, that if the wheel is spinning, if it has the angular momentum, I don't see why it would fall over, that uh, that there would still be the same resistance, the same like angular inertia stuff,
1: such that it wouldn't fall over. Wait a second. Hang on. You know what? My mom, my mom, she rides bikes for exercises. And uh, well, she has this stand that uh, she puts in her living room where she can put her like outdoors bike on it. Right. Yeah. 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 And it turns it into a stationary one. And uh, so that in a sense is levitating. Oh my gosh, I can like test this and like, see what's going on.
2: If you pedal a bike really fast, right, but she's not falling over.
1: Cause she's got a stand.
2: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You, you sneak up while she's using it and you remove the stand without her noticing.
0: <laughs> right. And she runs forward into the wall, but she does not fall over side <laughs> right. to side. Right. <laughs>
1: Okay, yeah, because like uh, this introduction of the idea that these two wheels are actually gyroscopes is suddenly I'm I'm thinking of all these other traits of gyroscopes, this this weird like magnetism, you know, when you hold it and it's trying to get away from but anyway, it uh, it does feel that
2: way. yeah Are we uh, ready for another topic? Yes, Uh, Charlie, your topic is articulating the shape of your internal cause and effect network and applying it as a learning superpower. Future vision. Yes. So, future vision.
1: <laughs> um, if you are a fan of Steven Universe, you've you may have heard the word before. Uh, me and Cisset K. Favor, we talk about this uh, construct inside of our brains that is basically just pattern recognition. Like everybody has pattern recognition. All animals have pattern rec- recognition. You know, you learn uh, if you do this, this happens, and uh, you can apply that to something else that's kind of similar. And, um, you know, that gets complex enough, then it can be as complicated as like algorithms inside of your head to where like you see a scenario and you understand what other thing is going to become of that scenario. So in a sense, it's like, a you see a situation that you're familiar with and you know what's going to happen in the future <laughs> for it, sort of. So pattern recognition, it's, um like in the simplest sense it's the thing on the SATs you know you have to guess where the little block is going to appear next but um if you apply pattern recognition to um all these other things like a uh, language like English um I decided to see um if I could apply my uh well, <laughs> future vision it's a cute name to um listen to what other people say because um I'm pretty sure I inherited like my brand of pattern recognition from my father because uh, he was a lawyer and a judge. And um, I remember him exclaiming at home that he had just spent so much time listening to people in court that uh, eventually he swore that he would know what people were going to say before they said it. And that sounds psychotic, you know, on the outside, on the surface. But um, as I've grown older, like, I understand what he meant. And um, the, it seems like that's probably all he could really articulate because he was probably just proud of himself, like, I know what they're going to say before they say it. But I think uh, Cishet K. Faber and I have done enough thinking about it to where it's, um, it's really just, you listen to enough people talk, you can just kind of tell where their sentence is going to end up. You can never predict it exactly, but it always feels like you've heard it before.
0: Yeah. And can I give like the best example of it? Yeah. Like um, when you and I were initially talking about this, the, the, when you were sounding me out and saying like, do you have this thing? Like, and I came back with an example of like, you're at like a Thanksgiving dinner and there's like 12 people sat around a table that is cramped and somebody puts their water glass in a spot and you just know that they're going to knock it over. (laughs) <laughs> that like, it's in a zone where it's going to be probably knocked over. And like, you may not be correct, but, and this is why it's not like you're a psychic is because it may not happen that it, it just, they that might, that person who did that might be very careful, but then also you can recognize enough patterns to where, like, you know, where people tend to move their hands while they eat. And you know that they're probably going to hit it. And then this comes back again with a lot of stuff that, that people do day to day. Like if you think about like catching a baseball, like is the person who's in the field catching the baseball are they tracking the baseball every single second and doing trigonometry and physics to calculate where it's going to come down? No, they're using their pattern recognition, right? So like they're, they're predicting where it's going to be. When you look at like the 3.65 second uh, solve on a Rubik's cube from a nine year old, and it doesn't look like he's looking at the cube at all. Like, You think about like, is he just predicting then because he's his visual system is not responding fast enough to be able to process that information. And you know that from the way that humans work and you think about like hitting fastballs in baseball and you really come to the conclusion that a lot of our intelligence as humans comes from this kind of forward looking pattern recognition. And so like the way that we describe that to each other is different from person to person. And there's like stuff like women's intuition or other kinds of things. But like, like, this is something that, that, uh, Charlie and I have gone back and forth about for a long time, but yeah. And I was wondering, GM, like, do you have a sense of this as well?
1: Yeah. Yeah. If, if this is relatable at all, um, does it feel like, like a a dimension in your mind? Like does it feel like a shape like can you picture like the steps you would take um do they create a shape like like my cause and effect network inside of my mind is shaped like a fractal (laughs) um so uh i mean i mean that you know it's this huge spidering decision tree and um what what did you say yours is like was it like a movie reel
0: yeah i mean i just see like scenes from the future kind of that like yeah, it, it's dumb and it's very much like a...
1: It's not dumb.
0: I mean, it's it's like law and order or something where it's just <laughs> like, I, I see the thing in the future that happens if you do this thing in the present. That just like, and it doesn't mean I'm right. And I will say that I've been very wrong in the past. But then also I've been right enough to where that like, especially when you deal with kids that like when you're a parent and you're like, if you step on that that way, you're going to fall. You're gonna do this thing, <laughs> and then they fall. You're like, I told you you're gonna fall, <laughs> and uh, and so th- there's some of that too. Yeah. That's... This
2: this is related relatable to me in that I think this is kind of what brains are for. Yeah. Like this is the entire purpose of a brain is to predict the future using information you have so that you can be a more effective organism. Yep. But well, first of all, I don't. I don't. As far as I can tell, I can't visualize it all, so I don't have like a shape in my head for Wait, it. Wait, you have a Fantasia. Uh, I believe so. Yeah.
1: Whoa! I just was watching a video about that today, so it's fresh in my mind. Oh yeah. I, and I was just wishing, like, I had somebody to talk to about it.
2: Oh, are you also are you, a a a fantastic?
1: <laughs> oh no, I'm very much the opposite, which is okay. why I'm, I I want to speak to somebody who doesn't have it.
2: But oh yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, your your future vision, you were saying. Oh, I mean, I it's I don't think about it. I just. My my brain just does the thing and it yeah. never, it never occurred to me to like to pay attention to that aspect of it. <laughs> Wait,
0: your brain does the thing, but like, do you notice a thing where other people do not seem to have this to the same extent?
2: I, I mean, I've definitely like, you might just say these people are clumsy, you know, like- oh,
1: that's it, it. Always goes. You make excuses and you uh, set aside your own intuition to go with other people, and then things end up going wrong. And uh, you, you, we're society, and just the nature of being polite. We uh, train ourselves to kind of ignore it. Uh-huh. Um, but if you really like tune into it and use it, and like identify it, because like you said, you know, it's just natural to do it without thinking, because you know we're we're animals. It's a yeah. survival mechanism, but um, think about it. Like it's so interesting that
2: you have this magic algorithm <laughs> inside of your head. It's you- a superpower. It's it's ver- very much like the the uh, telepathy we're doing right now with the air molecules around us, <laughs> mashing sound pressure at you. Yeah. Well, c- certainly some people are better at living than others, but I, th- <laughs> I think in a lot of cases, it's just people have different strengths. Like for example, my wife will leave things on the edge of the counter
0: yes, and
2: I will never do that, but she doesn't knock them over herself. I do because <sighs> I'm the one who's like liable to knock things off the edge of the counter. And so I never leave things on the edge of the counter so, I, so that I don't do that. And so it's really only when these two coping strategies like but up against each other that it's a problem.
0: That's a good example though because I I have the same thing where my wife will leave a coffee cup somewhere and I'll move it somewhere else and it's just like for me like maybe it's because I have like an inherent kind of anxiety that I just I see the movie in my head of the coffee cup falling over in many different ways and I'm going to move it to the spot where that doesn't happen. And right. you yeah, you may have like a lot of the same thing for the same reasons but then it just it just plays out differently in your life. So but then I still will say that like other people that like when I when I work like especially at like my job when I work with people other people don't seem to have this same thing. Like the like the glass and the coffee cup example I use because it's so visceral that everybody can understand it. But do you also have this then for more abstract topics or like things that you're doing in your work where you're like, if you go this direction with the code, then this will happen. Or I know that I have been valued in my job because I have this kind of sense of like, Oh, if we do this, then it will turn out this way. If we do it this way, then it will turn out likely, uh, yeah, in yeah. a worse way.
2: Like, like programming or designing defensively ex- is, yes, that, yes, is absolutely ex- a ex- thing. Yes. Yeah. Um, you
1: said, uh, Sisset that, um, at, at work, you were training your future vision on intrapersonal relationships and you were able yeah, to Yeah, that's
0: just be yeah, that's just because uh that's because of what my job currently is, which is that we have a parent company and we are a much smaller subsidiary of the parent company. Yeah. And so a lot of my job is going and getting permission to be able to control things from the parent company. And so I need to be able to game out like if I talk to this person and this person and this person, yeah. will we get what we want? And I've been able to use that pattern recognition to be able to do that really well in a way that other people in my department have not been able to do.
1: Wow. That's quite useful. Kind of.
0: Yeah. But some of that is language ability. Like I speak like the parent company is Japanese. I speak Japanese. So like I can toot my own horn on this all I want, but then you can always go back to the point that I speak a language that the rest of my department does not.
1: Hmm. I thought I thought most Japanese people knew English, even if they say that they don't, because they're required Oh, they do. To learn but my my I work in a U.S. subsidiary of, of a
0: Japanese company. My whole team is uh, is American.
1: Oh, wait. They don't speak Japanese. Wait, but but this is in Japan, right? I mean, I I work. I
0: I get paid through the Japanese company, and I work for the Japanese company. But I am employed through the U.S. subsidiary, and all my entire team and everybody I deal with on a day to day basis is American. Oh, okay. But when I have to reach up into our parent company to be able to get things for us, uh, this becomes very useful. Oh,
1: yeah. um, what other things have you applied it to? Um, like, Amy, I, I know you're a writer. I, I uh, use uh, my pattern recognition to make music because um, I'm a composer, and you do the same thing with writing, where uh, you just know, like, if you, <laughs> if you start off with this word, like, the uh, certain other words are going to follow it uh, better than other words and like there's a right way and a wrong way even though art is subjective there seems like an ob- objective right and wrong if you apply future vision to your creative process
0: oh yeah and this is a thing to get jim back into because um yes. i think this could really apply in music but for me when i'm writing it's less that i know where the sentence is gonna go but more that i need to know where the sentence needs to end up such that i created a certain way and that informs a lot of decisions before that point. And so, like, if you're working with music, I think it's probably the same way, maybe. And I don't know. But, like, because you have the future thing in mind, you can, like, lay the track for it.
1: Yeah, it's it's a, definitely a nonlinear process. It's a nonlinear creation process. You go backwards, forwards, and, you know, up and down when you're, you're figuring out which notes to harmonize. It's, um, it's like an all which ways at all points so um it's always different the direction
2: yeah that's interesting that's not been my experience making music my when i'm making music i rarely know i I don't have any idea where i'm going with it
1: really oh tell
2: me about your creative process really
1: so you you start you do it linearly is that what you're saying
2: um yeah i guess so i I, like that's bold i I just kind of like scribble around in the note grid until i find something that sounds good And then I'll probably add something on top of it, or like I'll layer something on top of that. Yeah. Yeah. And then I have to figure out like once I have a part that I like that like usually it starts with, I start with a loop. Then I have to figure out, okay, now where I'm going, where am I going to go from here? If this is the verse, what does the chorus sound like? And so I have to then I have to figure out like how do I follow this up with something that that is interesting but also fits, like is in the same style and follows from the previous thing. I guess it's never really actually occurred to me to to work the other way where like i have a place where i know i want to end up and so how do i get there
1: hmm. so you sound like a i am a composer you sound like you are more of a writer right you make more traditionally structured songs where it might make more sense for you to go from you know beginning to end and you tackle certain parts like you know the bridge the chorus um, the the leitmotif the, <laughs> the reprise <laughs> um yeah. whereas uh for me i make i make rhapsodies which um i mean example the bohemian rhapsody hungarian rhapsody there's no repetition of sections it's just um uh not even variations on a theme really it's um one unique large story yeah in which nothing repeats twice but you can tell everything's still sort of related you know it's like it's like a person's lifespan, you know, watching them, you know, from birth to death,
2: something like that. Yeah, like the f- through composition is something that like I always, I respect it, but it's just exhausting, the idea of it. Oh, yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're <laughs> not wrong. It's so exhausting. It is terrifyingly exhausting. Um, composing, it's it doesn't even feel like... Um, a musical process. It feels like some sort of mathematical calculation or some sort of um manual labor I'm doing, except it's inside my head. It feels like a, a physical task that I'm doing just inside my head. And I've hurt myself like so many times mentally and physically from just composing. <laughs> just it's yeah. so intense. Mm-hmm. It like shoves out every other part of the human condition i stop eating i stop showering because uh, the song like becomes my working memory and uh, i lose the ability to have a conversation
2: with other humans that that does sound exhausting
1: <laughs> has anything like that ever happened to you like um like a uh, writing i know is a different process like fundamentally from composing i mean you can split hairs but they're they're just two different things just to i,
2: I haven't you know, focused like, like that since i was a teenager <laughs> did it hurt do you remember <laughs> um it certainly was uh there were certainly downsides of it yeah 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 i haven't and and certainly like ever since i had a kid i've it's been very difficult to to focus just because my life is full of distractions
1: yeah that's been my experience as well oh yeah and you need to you need to be present yeah I have um a parrot. I know it's not the same as having a kid, but <laughs> it's very difficult. I don't
2: know. Of all the pets I can think of, like a parrot might be the one that's closest to having a kid.
1: Oh yeah. You can have. I, I always say you can have a parrot or you can have a kid, but not both. Uh-huh. And uh yeah, I can't compose when Mabel is a kid um, that, out and around.
2: <laughs> that will never grow up and will definitely outlive you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well yeah that's the thing about
0: the people who are like oh man my pet is my kid and it's like i had a cat when i was in the us and they begged for food at 5am or at sunup every day even if there was food in their bowl but my daughter she learned not to do that uh the cat never did so <laughs>
2: <laughs> are we uh, ready for another topic yeah. yeah uh so my topic is i'm not sure what archipelago.gg is but if I read this paragraph aloud, maybe we can figure it out together. Is this an ARG? Uh, maybe. You should be careful mentioning ARGs on this podcast. Oh, no. All right. Here's the paragraph. This is a cross game modification system which randomizes different games, then uses the result to build a single unified multiplayer game. Items from one game may be present in another and you will need your fellow players to find items you need in their games to help you complete your own. Whoa, that sounds cool. Is this like, um, yeah, that's, that's where I am too. Like, I it sounds cool. I don't know what it is, is yet. Wow.
1: You know, I was thinking about how useful um a portal gun would be in tears of the kingdom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Some of those shrines, like I can't, get, can't be bothered to use recall. I just, I would look down the corridor and just wish so bad I had a portal gun, <laughs> but this thing you're talking about, is it, is it like a text adventure? Like, what is this?
2: All right. Let's look at this list of supported games. Oh adventure for the Atari 26- 2600 Dark Souls 3 <laughs> That's a
1: huge jump
2: <laughs> Donkey Kong Country 3 Factorio okay this is just a list of video games Wait, what
1: so it's like transposing elements from one into so, the other
2: all right so here's my here's my working guess here's my theory for what this is are you familiar with uh video game randomizers i know the concept yes
0: like link to the past and like yeah like metroid and like all those
2: Yeah. So for the audience, like a a randomizer will, usually it's for like old game ROMs, like Link to the Past randomizer will like, like move elements around in the game. So the, actually I've never played Link to the Past randomizer, but I have played Zelda one randomizer. And what that does is like, it will move rooms around in dungeons and it'll move items into different rooms. And so like, you might find the Triforce piece from that dungeon, like just an enemy in room number two is holding it. So you just find it uh but also like your sword isn't in the starting cave the sword is somewhere somewhere else on the map and you have to find it before you can even kill anything so that's the idea of randomizers is like uh rom hacks that that are randomized like you you don't know what you're going to expect each time you you start this game up and i've also seen uh a similar concept where it takes two video games and kind of links them together in like i saw this done with uh, i think it was linked to the past and super metroid where they yeah they randomize both but that also means taking items from one game and putting them in the other um but they don't go as far as like letting you use the the sword or the hookshot in metroid but what you do is you find the hookshot in metroid and then the person playing Link to the past can use it and so you're the games are interacting with each other in that way. Like you're feeding, but you're helping out your friend while they play their game. And so my theory is that you set up like like you have a group of like 10 friends and you each pick a game and uh, it randomizes all the items from all these games into the all the other games.
0: Or some of them. The Metroid and Link to the Past example, I think is very useful Because in that case, it's not multiplayer, like you're expected to go back and forth between the games as a single player. But in this case, it's meant to be multiplayer. So uh, does that mean that if you've never played Dark Souls 3, that in order to advance in Factorio, you're going to have to load up Dark Souls 3 and get real good?
2: So yeah, I'm I'm skimming the fact here. This is inherently a multiplayer idea. And I, I presume like... This is a way that that people will pick the game that they're comfortable with just because people don't usually use randomizers the first time they play the game.
0: Right. So in that case, you you set your games that you are playing and then do you get some kind of request? Like, because you're supposed to be helping other people, right? So like, do you know what they want you to get? But then also it's randomized, right? So like, you don't know where to get it. So like, if somebody tells you to go get the Master Sword inside dark souls 3 do you know where that is like it definitely like i understand why you had so much trouble understanding this paragraph because there are so many bad ways that it could be implemented <laughs> and there're so few good ways that it's yeah. impossible to know
2: like how it actually works the fact does not address how uh you you inform pe- somebody that well you can obviously you can just tell them i want the sword but there's no there, there doesn't seem to be a way that's exposed in this fact that, uh, indicates like how people know where in their game or like even whose game has it has the sword. So like my, my guess would be that this experience would be like, everybody is stumbling through their randomized game and sometimes they find items and that's like a little gift that they're giving to somebody else. Like, oh, surprise, you get, you get this boomerang.
0: So games are just like shitty for everybody. (laughs) until someone stumbles upon a thing
2: (laughs) yeah i think that's the idea
1: is this like simultaneous multiplayer or can people just play and then stop is is it just like this disjointed like community of people all playing
2: these different games helping each other out i kind of love the idea that it would be asynchronous but asynchronous here's here's a question in the fact what happens if a person has to leave early uh and the answer is they can use archipelago's release system When a player releases their game, all the items in that game, which belong to other players, are sent out automatically.
0: Okay. All right. So then we've, we've, we have found the conceit.
2: Yes. I think
0: so. That that when you join, people are playing different games. The items are randomized among the games. People play together. And then when somebody leaves, those items are returned to those games. Maybe randomized, maybe not. But that this is fundamentally like a synchronous kind of experience. So okay this makes a lot more sense to me now
2: yeah yeah it's it's a neat idea it's weird
0: but like the funny thing about it is that it's even weirder like i remember do you remember the era of like couch co-op games of like monaco and like just there's a bunch of those xbox 360 like live games that were meant to be like oh you've got three people on a couch or four people on a couch and it's like i don't i barely have a couch i live alone like i don't like i have I have friends, but they're not here.
2: I yeah, I, I remember that era. Like I, so I'm I'm convinced that like that genre of indie game came about because people would do like when you're when you're figuring out what kind of game you're gonna make next, you do a bunch of prototypes, and then you pick the one that's the most fun, uh, and you make that. Uh, and yeah. that's also why people made a bunch of twin stick shooters in like 2012. because twin six shooters are like one of the easiest genres of it's the the fun appears earliest in the development cycle of all the genres but i'm convinced this is this happened because like people made like a couch co-op game and they got a bunch of friends over and they had a blast playing this game because playing games on a single screen with your friend is friends are is fun and so a bunch of these games happened and then it hit the market reality of like well Nobody wants to actually do this.
0: Yeah, and this is the, this is similar to the, like the links discussion that happened in a previous episode of just like you can't rely on like the people in your life who are proximate to have those things. And then now Archipelago like in some ways based on the writing on the tin it's like anybody can be playing any game and you're fine. But then no, from my perspective it's like no, you all got to be playing different games. <laughs> and you got to be playing the games that are supported. And so now this is even harder to put together than if you had just all played Monaco together or something like
2: I mean I so I, I'm guessing that one of the major advantages this game has is that everybody can pick their favorite game from the list. And so you don't have you don't have to agree on a game. That's true
0: if yes if every if everybody yeah has a game on the list they like yes that's true yeah.
2: there's a good variety here. but then how long is this going to take like yeah that's a great question i don't know how it, the fact does not say like how long a session length is a question just came to me
1: even if this is multiplayer like simultaneous multiplayer these are all single single player experiences where's the interaction because everybody's doing something completely different on every screen so you can't really hold a conversation about your communal gameplay because there is none you're all completely removed i feel like it would just be a bunch of single player
2: yeah i mean i I do think like the whole uh, in in what i'm visualizing at least the entirety of your interaction is like oh i got i got you this boomerang here you go
0: Well, I mean, this is this is also a genre of game that has developed, right? Like Among Us is this too that like you're all on a Discord call. Like, yes,
2: you can you can tell stories about the game you're playing on the Discord. Are we ready for another topic? Yes, sir. Yes. Uh so for this topic we're going to be reading a poem. We ha- actually we haven't decided the poem yet. Uh we have here a copy pasta from this page and then there's a link um so I'm actually, I'm just going to let this, let you decide, pick one of these paragraphs.
0: Yeah, I've decided one. Okay, great. So I'm going to read it. All right. I'm 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 doing the oration. Uh, Today, when I walked into my economics class, I saw something I'd read every time I close my eyes. Someone had brought their new gaming laptop to class. The forklift he used to bring it was still running idle at the back. I started sweating as I sat down and gazed over at the 700 pound beast that was his laptop. He had already reinforced his desk with steel support beams and was in the process of finding an outlet for a power cable thicker than a human thigh. I start shaking. I keep telling myself I'm going to be all right and that there's nothing to worry about. He somehow finds a fucking outlet. Tears are running down my cheeks as as I send my last text to my family saying I love them. The teacher starts the lecture, and the student turns his laptop on. The colored lights on his RGB backlit keyboard flare to life like a nuclear flash, and a deep humming fills my ears and shakes my very soul. The entire city power grid goes dark. The classroom begins to shake as the massive fans begin to spin. In mere seconds, my world has gone from vibrant life to a dark, earth-shattering void where my body is getting torn apart by the 150-mile-per-hour Gale Force winds and 500 decibel groan of the cooling fans. As my body finally surrenders, I weep as my soul and my city go under. I hate gaming laptops.
2: So this answers a question that I always had, which is that those fancy-ass, like, Alienware laptops with the weird, like, shapes, the, the weird, like, molding and the colored keyboards, who are those for? Because, like, when I'm using a computer, I'm not paying attention to the shape of the monitor or the color of the keyboard. Like I'm I'm looking at the screen and that's where my focus is. But well, that's not for when you're using it. It's for when you walk in the room and you're like, damn, this looks good. Right. And, but apparently it's also for like other people in your, uh, in your classroom who are trying to pay attention.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I am recording this on an Asus ROG Zephyrus, which is a tiny computer on top of a much larger Lenovo Legion that I have, which is a gaming laptop but is a, prop, a proper kind of business gaming laptop, uh, which does not have most of that shit, but is mostly that same thing. And it's I think it's mostly just marketing that like they feel like they're not going to be able to sell the computer without the bullshit stuff. And so yeah. they put all this bullshit stuff on the computer.
1: Do you remember Rhythm Games? Do I remember Rhythm Games? Do you remember Rock Band? <laughs> what are you talking about? I mean, Dude, I am rhythm
2: games. Rock
0: Band
1: is
2: new for me, so hey. Oh, that's a very exciting! Then I, I, I wish I lived in your world. This was a thing, like in 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 Rock Band, where they put a bunch of effort into like the animation happening behind the gameplay. But when you're playing the game, you don't see any of that. You just see <laughs> yeah, the you don't you see the notes coming at you. You Literally,
1: cannot see it. Uh,
2: but they couldn't. They can't sell a game that's just the notes because there's no fancy artwork in the screenshots.
0: Well, and they did that, and those games sold for $20 on budget at Target because I remember that because those games were Frequency and Amplitude, and then that developer went on to make Rock Band.
2: Yeah, those are great games. I like I like Frequency and Amplitude a lot.
0: Yeah, so there's something to that that like um they realized that like, oh, our audio tech is one thing and our programming tech is one thing and our game design is one thing, but then like people just kind of want to see polygonal dudes with long hair headbanging.
2: Yeah, background but there's also like especially at the time rock and roll sells better than techno like to just to to the mass market audience like i think more people want or in 2007 or whatever it was wanted to be a, a guitar hero than wanted to be a, a a i don't even know what what you would call like see, <laughs> the fantasy is just nebulous what kind of person makes the music in frequency it's because like i like is it a dj because dj hero didn't do that well it turns out nobody wants that fantasy
0: right but like but like dj Hero was also real songs that was like those were real hip-hop songs and then like um frequency and amplitude like there were no doubt songs in those like and that's like, true that was my, yeah that, that was my introduction to freeze pop like most of those songs were real
2: like the the no doubt song was i'm sure it was a remix as opposed to like that what like a like a techno style remix if, if not if only because like despite necessity those songs were made out of, of clips and samples so i think
0: I, I think no so i think that the reason that they were able to go on to do guitar hero and um what they did is because of their early tech and i think their early tech limited the the songs that they were able to do yeah which is which is why you had like freeze pop songs in that game is because they were able to get the individual tracks. Because the thing that I remember about frequency and amplitude is because they were like weirdly modern music that like it was licensed and it was, um, but it wasn't like banger. This is me backfilling my point, but it seems like they sought songs for which they could get separated audio tracks already to be able to use their tech. And then they later, because they had the backing of a publisher, were able to get more popular songs remixed such that they were able to get separated tracks for more popular and then some of the, like not all the songs in guitar hero and rock band are like fully their original versions right there are some remixes in there yeah, um, yeah. the
2: um the, the guitar hero and guitar hero 2 and i think even some if not all songs in rock band like most i i can't remember but in the first two games at the, the very least like they they paid like session musicians to re-record the songs as closely as possible i remember <laughs> because that was cheaper than licensing licensing the actual master recordings
0: which is also why beatles rock band was like weirdly not like the the most painful part of beatles rock band was the licensing and then after that because they'd already had done the stereo remasters and the 5.1 remasters they already had separated tracks so from a technical standpoint, Beatles Rock Band was maybe the easiest thing that they had ever done after they had done like 15 years of everything else. So that that's my take on it, and I might be completely wrong, but like I I think that's what happened.
1: Goodness, I've been uh, <laughs> completely upside down over here because when I heard topic is rhythm games, I'm thinking, uh, oh, Beatmania, Poppin', a DDR, Stepmania. Oh, I mean, well, <laughs> 2D X. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know juby that's why i said guitar hero is new for me is because like for me rhythm games are like vib ribbon and parappa and Yeahmani and like...
1: like rhythm rhythm like i i refer to stuff like guitar hero and rock band i call those music games because it's it's not based on rhythm you are playing the melody and the instruments and
2: stuff that's an interesting distinction distinction yeah but but my my point also applies to like Dance Dance Revolution for example they also have like a music video happening in the background of the uh, gameplay and yeah you don't look at that while you're playing no <laughs> the video the videos are pretty good for the Hatsune Miku games those are pretty good the, that they're Hatsune Miku games oh yeah um they're called I mean, Pocket- She's from I'm a game like... like oh i didn't know this
1: yeah um they are i think they're, they're a little bit cumbersome to play um since <laughs> you're mashing like the playstation button you know X circle square triangle like in quick succession and you're just button mashing and that's not really that's not really a stimulating rhythm game experience for me. so uh i <laughs> I prefer to enjoy the games just observing the music videos and saying, oh they did a good job and then and then I play something else. but yeah, she has tons of games. Hatsune Miko has so many games and uh, cameos and other uh, rhythm games as well I think uh, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yep. Terrifying. <laughs> are we, uh, are we ready for another topic? Sure. Uh, Charlie, your topic is why is a skill less valued? The more we love it. Shouldn't it be the opposite? Is this arguable? Yeah. I realized, well, okay. We live in a
1: society and like, and that's the problem. We're training ourselves. Whoa. <laughs> well, there are these things that we believe that like we probably shouldn't because it's a little bit harmful to our well-being in in my personal opinion. Like this when, when I say things like this, this is just, you know, within the confines of my personal philosophy and not saying like this is objectively it is like it is. I'm just <laughs> so um why should my skill as a composer? I've been doing this for what? What how old, how old am I? Uh you're 66 24 years or something i don't know i've been i've been composing for what 20 something years and uh and i love it so much and uh i do it like for work i do it for play i do it instead of doing other things like um why has this caused my entire family to like think it is just nothing hobby like a stupid like I'm using my family as an example just because you know I'm so passionate about this they don't they don't look twice and uh, I notice other artists when I've been in art school other students will sell themselves short because they like to do something. They, they're they're great at doing something, but I ask them about their creative process. Like, tell me what's going through your head. Like, and they're like, I don't know. I don't really take it that seriously. I just like to draw it this way. And like, I do my assignments on other stuff, not the stuff I like to do in my free time. So like, there's this theme uh, of people like devaluing um, a skill especially, uh, like if they like it and if it's creative, but more so like, it depends on how much you love it. Why does that make it less valuable? Like if I want to compose music for somebody, I still have this like internalized prejudice, I guess. (laughs) to where like, Oh, I love this so much. I should just offer to do it for free. And that happens every (laughs) single time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like even yeah. if somebody gives me money, I will find a way to turn that into zero dollars that I receive. It's amazing. And I don't know why I do this. Like I've internalized this thing that I hate so much.
2: Yeah. So I have, a, I have a couple of theories here. Yeah. I mean, one is that the things that people love doing, they will do for free. And therefore, capitalism has decided that we just will never pay for art. Yeah, and people internalize this as like, oh, that means art is worthless, and therefore, then that's both the artists and non-artists who think that. Yeah, we've internalized. Right, this has come up on the show as well. So this this, this specific pattern, like music, especially, is like n- the idea of like writing new music is especially worthless because there's already so much good music. <laughs> Wait, what? What? Like, yeah, listen, listen, dude, you write somebody a song. And are they going to listen to your song or are they going to listen to the best music of the last thousand yeah, years, yeah, yeah. which is available to them at their fingertips at any time? That comparison doesn't make sense. Tell, tell me more about that. <laughs> uh, the value lies in uh, how
1: rare the ability is that somebody can create something that is in the same like world As something that is, you know, the best song the last so many years that you just said. Uh, Because not everybody can do that. I think that's where the value is. I think we
2: we forget that not everybody can. People's experience with music is very disconnected from the composer. Like, I I think most people don't care about, like, when they're listening to music, they're probably not thinking about, like, the person who made this is very talented. They're probably just enjoying the music or not. It's completely different.
1: And that's yeah. that's completely fine. People it's completely normal for everybody to have just a different relationship with what they're hearing. Um I I get carried away with I have like love affairs with the melodies and notes themselves and like oh man yeah. that was a good rest. It was like right at the right <laughs> moment and like other people are thinking about the artist and you know other people are thinking about the album.
2: Oh man rests. You
1: no, know, I totally get
2: you. It's normal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it took me when i was a teenager i worked in trackers oh cool and one of the things about trackers is that it doesn't really have the concept of note lengths yeah it just has like you start the note here and then you could put another command somewhere else to stop the note yeah and so it took me a long time to like get to the point where like i do oh I, I i'm writing a melody now i should stop the note at some point <laughs> Because what I would do is I would just start the note and then at like, some point later, okay, the next note should start and it would replace the previous one or rather not replace, but like it would, it would, uh, because it's in the same channel, it would stop the previous note and the new note would start. Oh, monophonic. And it took me years to realize oh, you know what? One interesting thing you could do with a melody is stop a note without starting a new one, <laughs> oh, aka arrest.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or aka playing any piano.
2: Right. Right. And then like that. You know, the the more sophisticated version of that is realizing like how much fine tuning your note lengths, like exactly where it cuts off, like how much that can feed into like making it sound like a real performance and not just like a computer playing notes in a grid. Dude, I love you.
1: (laughs) We're going to hold hands. Okay. I love you.
2: (laughs) <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm, I'm
1: ready. <laughs> no, really, because um, saying note length, note length is one of the fundamentals of uh, what makes a melody function. Because um, a melody is really just a series of events, and they have elemental qualities such as pitch, where in time they occur, and that in itself is split into note on and note off. So uh, when I compose, um, it's not a tracker, I use a sequencer, I use a cork M3, and uh, it's a piano roll, but um, uh, I still have the same note on note off system. And uh, (laughs) yeah, the note off is such an important quality, because um, you can, uh, if, uh, if I don't record it by hand for an authentic performance, um, I will try to finagle it by getting the note off signal to occur just so. And I'll, <laughs> I'll experiment like, is this millisecond okay? Is that one gonna work? And sometimes I'll hide it like between other elements. Um, yeah. the, it's just the micro decisions you can do. It's, it's sort of like um, auditory sleight of hand that people don't even know these decisions are being made but you make enough of them in the right places and it makes the world of difference. It's, it's like night and day yeah refine it enough
0: yeah which is also um the crossover between i think game dev and musicianship here for like digital music is that like if you don't know a lot about game programming you think like oh somebody presses a button you do a thing you just fire off an event when a button is pressed and then you get into game dev and you're like you have a button up and a button down event and you need to track them and such that it feels good when the player does the right sequence of button up and button down for a specific button and or a specific series of buttons in sequence and then you look at something like a fighting game and you're like i could never do that like that is not something that i could ever program because i it would take me a million years to figure out how to make that feel comfortable and so like i know i'm drawing this back to my own stuff but i'm just saying that like Maybe I'm doing this because Jim also has game dev experience, but just like when you look at like those sort of micro decisions of things that people don't often think about or care about, that that also happens in in game dev as well as music
1: too. Oh yeah, totally. And it, it's uh, I like to say many many things can be considered musical instruments, even though they don't necessarily produce music. It's an instrument that you are playing, like driving a car on the street, that you are playing an instrument because you can tell if somebody is driving when they're angry, or if they're driving drunk, you can tell because they are playing an instrument. You can just see how the car is moving. Whoops, there goes Mabel. If you hear, heard her fly by. Um, <laughs> that's was my parrot. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, Charlie has a bird
0: named Mabel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: that's uh, she's a black-headed kite. She's about nine years old. And every night she goes and lands on my Korg M3, the sequencer I mentioned earlier. It's idiot keys. And she demands me to play music for her, but we can't do that right now. Come on, Mabel. I'm recording. I'm recording right now. Yeah, you want to come sit with me? All right. Here she is. (laughs) Every night she wants me to play music for her. So she was trying to. Does she, does she join in? She does. She, she whistles whenever uh, I play music for her, but um, she's only just recently begun uh, to whistle along. And I think it's because uh, she recently figured out how to enjoy music.
2: Um, <laughs> Still working on that myself.
1: She's going to be about maybe 20 or 40 years old. So if she's nine right now, she's just now getting to be, I guess, sort of a seasoned adult, you know, with a little adult brain. And uh, she's getting smarter all the time. Like I'll describe to her what's happening on the TV. I'll tell her about what I'm doing and like... <laughs> Um, so, uh, she used to just hate music. She hated it. She would scream when I'd compose, she would scream if the TV was too loud, but now, um, she'll sit really close to it and just listen, turn her head sideways and I'll play something on the piano and she'll whistle like, just, just this really, um, just this tepid delicate, like couple of notes. <laughs> But it's most definitely singing. It's adorable. And uh if uh, if I join the Discord, um maybe I can manage to capture a video for doing it.
2: Uh, that would be that would be delightful. It's so cute. You would love it. <laughs> uh that's all the time we have for topic lords. Uh syset K Faber. If this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet?
0: People can find me uh on Twitter. I'm still on the site at Siset K Faber. Um at some point, maybe blue sky will be a thing. But until it is a thing, and by which I mean until I have an invite, I will be over on the Twitter, and then also I will be on the Topic Lords Discord, um, the only place on the internet where topics are discussed via text.
2: <laughs> and, and Charlie, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, um, me?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. My name is Charlie. Um, I can be found at uh, uh, on Twitter, Otempo. Just like the musical term, it means at speed. Um, so, Charlie at on Twitter, and uh, you can listen to my composition studies, which are much cooler than that sounds. I use uh, uh, my classical music theory training to create video game music, uh, basically, just sweets that are super long and combinations of like 20 different Sonic songs and like one big thing at like, you know, 190 beats per minute. So if that sounds awesome, uh, I release music under the name Attractivision. Attractivision, you can search that on Spotify. And uh, I also do commissions. If you hit me up on Twitter, the going rate is usually like two bucks per second of music produced for you, the finished music. I can Uh, make you a ringtone or I can make you a melody. Or if you make a melody and give it to me, I can make variations on it or turn it into an entire song for you. Um, I'm also available to score a video game if you have one in development and you you need some cool tunes. Hit me up.
2: Great. All right. Thanks so much for being on.
1: Thank you. See you later. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it very much.
2: Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed Lords. This episode was edited by Esper Quinn, who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com, and you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode!